0: hey everyone thanks for joining me on the slice of healthcare podcast i'm your host jared taylor joining me today is dr jonathan stein the chief science officer at Tsis. right i'm saying this right Tsis biosciences you got it love it awesome i'm i'm hyped to have you here today uh Let's, let's kick things off. Tell us about your background.
1: Well, it's great to be here today, and thank you for having me. My name is Dr. Jonathan Stein. I'm the Chief Science Officer and Medical Director for Thesis Biosciences. My background, um, you know, molecular genetics, cancer, no big whoop. Uh, did paternity uh, testing, forensic testing, uh, heredity testing. I've been CSO for a couple places, um, consulting lab director, Uh, for many, many more of them during the uh, sort of big COVID explosion. Gosh, I was running five labs at the same time. So that was fun and interesting. Um, Nobody, nobody gets into being a lab director for the white knuckled adrenaline. But there we were doing, uh, you know, uh, seven days a week, uh, going to double and triple shifts shifts in some of the laboratories. It was a really wild time. So... That's kind of where I'm coming from. I uh, got my undergrad at UC Santa Cruz, go fighting banana slugs and uh, came out to Texas uh, to get my degree working in molecular pathology at uh, MD Anderson Cancer Center. So that's the kind of short end of the story.
0: Oh, very cool. I knew someone at MD Anderson for a while. Um, I mean, I know it's a big place. You might not, I, I know a uh, Dr. Gary Bridges. Um, yeah. He's big institution. The, yeah. Um, It's a huge place, Uh, so yeah, really cool. Um, Fighting banana slugs—is that what you called it?
1: Yeah, uh, Santa Cruz has uh, their their mascot um, is the banana slug. This kind of long, kind of gross-looking yellow thing. Uh, We're not very (laughs) sports-minded.
0: Okay, Um, okay, all right. I'm trying to picture it right now. I'd, I'd, love, uh, I'd love for you to give us an overview of uh, t Biosciences now and maybe talk us through the biggest challenges that you're helping to address, uh, you're helping your customers address today.
1: Sure. t Biosciences is a next-generation sequencing lab. And what that means is we develop uh, gene-specific panels for specific diseases. Uh, we sequence all the genes that have been identified that are associated with a disease state. And then we kind of um, winnow those 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 large lists of diseases, of gene-associated diseases, to ones that are clinically actionable. What does this tell you about your risk? What does it tell you about the likelihood of getting a disease, uh, disease severity in some cases, and in some cases, how best that disease can be treated or avoided. So this, you know, there's 20,000 genes in the human gene. There's a lot of genes out there. Um, there is a lot of research using sort of statistical methods to identify genes associated with this. And you can generate a lot of information with next generation sequencing, but it needs to be actionable. Like it needs to be useful. Like imagine how busy a doctor is every day, seeing all those patients, they need to know what they need to know, right? And so as fun as it is to be a geneticist and to geek out and to look at constellations of data and weak genetic interactions, and try to figure out what all that means, um, how can we help the patient? How can we help the clinician help the patient? So that is our focus. I cast this enormous net and I geek out like you wouldn't believe, because I love, love, love genetic research. And then I boil that down to what's going to be useful. Uh, and so that is one of the things that TSIS is really focused on, is clinical relevance, clinical actionability. Right? You can imagine making these comprehensive gene panels, hundreds and hundreds of genes. Uh, one of them has only been seen in two families in Pennsylvania, and they know they have it. Right? How helpful is it to give that information to um, random clinician for random patient? It's just noise. It's just more and more noise. So in a very distracted world, we try to help um, focus uh, focus that information, again, with an eye towards clinical clinical utility, clinical actionability.
0: Can can you talk us through why understanding like uh, genomics is so important for the future of health?
1: Sure. Again, as a mad scientists, I'd say it's because it's awesome. But um, let's talk about like like so. There's a thing called pharmacogenomics. This this is a beautiful example because it it really highlights a lot of what 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 I'm, um what the value is of this testing. So uh, we all take medi- Almost everybody takes some medications. Some people take lots of medications. Uh, And it turns out, for any given medication, for any given um, patient, some people are going to metabolize that drug really quickly, and some of them are going to metabolize it very slowly. So in one case, it leaves their system very quickly because they're a fast metabolizer. And in some cases, it can sort of accumulate in their system because they metabolize it very slowly. So that means on an average dose, some people are getting um, way more than they need because it's again, it's floating around their system, accumulating, you know, you say you're taking two or three pills a day, you're not really flushing them out of your system, so it's adding up, or uh, they're not getting enough, because they're very, very quickly um, getting it out of their system and breaking it down. So what's the bottom line on that? The bottom line on that is women who get pregnant on birth control, right, because their body breaks it down faster than it can accumulate enough to impact their sort of hormonal balance, which is the whole kind of actionability of the birth control. Uh, and for uh people who are slow metabolizers probably the best well-known example of this is um so if you take what is it uh, codeine 3 right um the intermediate metabolite metabolite of that is morphine and so you can have cases where uh, a, a mom who got a C section and so she's taking uh tylenol 3 for as a painkiller uh, her uh infant can get opiate poisoning because she has accumulated morphine. They're both super slow metabolizers. Uh, so this intermediate breakdown product of the, of, the, of the codeine is morphine, and that's going through the mother's milk and getting into the baby and problems, right? Turns out being a fast metabolizer, a slow metabolizer is common. Like 20% of people total will be on one end or the other end of that. So you have these really common, like it's not a super rare thing at all, is really common genetic variant that everybody has for one medication or another, right? And it's incredibly helpful to know. We're looking at it for uh, one of the big avenues for this is mental health. Somebody shows up to, uh, and they need to be prescribed, uh, they have extreme anxiety or suicidal ideation or, or psychosis, right? And they need to be on an antipsychotic or an antidepressant or an anti-anxiety. Um, almost everybody who knows someone who's been through that process They get prescribed a drug and they get told, okay, well, come back in, you know, uh, uh, 10 weeks, two months, eight to 10 weeks, and let me know if you're feeling less psychotic. Let me know if you're feeling less suicidally depressed. Let me know if you're feeling less, um, so anxious you can't even function. Let's see if it works. And if it doesn't work, we'll try something else. Genetic testing can tell you which ones are most likely to work for you, which ones are less likely to work for you, whether the dosage is going to be so... uh, Uh, Whether you're a slow metabolizer, so you're going to get lots of those negative side effects. You know, you don't need to take as much of the dosage. Or if you're a fast metabolizer and it's never going to work for you because your body breaks it down. Maybe you need something different. Maybe you need a higher dose. Giving people that heads up is a huge quality of life difference. So that is, um, like, that's today. Like, you can go get those tests today. That's not the future of this, which I'll be happy to rant about.
0: (laughs) <laughs> yeah no i i'd love i'd love to get your take also on the future
1: yeah but it's it a, as well. it's a big deal right so so what that looks like in, in my mind so okay the cost of sequencing is going down 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 right and you know the first one cost millions and millions and 20 years to sequence somebody now you can get it done for about a thousand bucks uh if you you know pr- let them uh use your sequence data to do what sort of further research analysis right um And that's going to keep going down. It'll probably half again within the next five, 10 years, right? So there, there, there becomes a point where the most valuable thing to do is just seek, just sequence people, um, find out what their hotspots are for, um, what their, um, what's the word I'm looking for. Um, what can be easily prevented, like what they're vulnerable to, you know, here's the pieces you probably shouldn't go around. And then all of their medication gets sort of front loaded. They don't take this. They do take this. If they ever, you know, get on anti-diabetics, or they ever get on anti, uh, anti uh, if they ever get on psychiatric drugs, or if they ever get on cardiovascular drugs, here's the route that's going to be most successful. Like that's all where it's going, and it's going to generate a tremendous amount of what's called bioinformatic data, right? You know, you sequence someone. That's a lot of information. It's a lot of genetic information to try to parse out what's useful and what isn't. And so the same thing we'll be doing. What is useful? What is useful to know? I did it 23andMe, loved it, told me my eye color. I already know my eye color, <laughs> right? It's lovely, but also, right? Um, you know, again, that's recreational. People who go into a clinical setting, they need to know what is most important, what's most relevant, what's most actionable. So that that's only gonna keep going. Uh, I mean, the internet's kind of like that. Within this like fire hose of data, you want to know what you want to know. Like, what what can you use?
0: Let's let's talk a little bit about why understanding genetics um, is key to highlighting vulnerabilities in infectious diseases. Can you talk about that? Yeah, sure.
1: So, um, where where to begin with that? So so what happens is you look at pe- um, the way this is done is they do uh, large scale research studies and they look at different outcomes for a given disease right and they do what's called a genome-wide association study where again they either look at like enormous panels of genes or they just bulk sequence people depending on sort of the level of granularity they're going for and from that you can identify what subsets of people are most likely to like for COVID, for example you can you can identify the people who are most likely to be hospitalized most likely to have severe outcomes most likely to be asymptomatic Right. So this, this, this gives you like sort of two interesting things to, to, to follow up on. Right. One, you can find out what your risk is. Right. And again, this is all sort of statistic. Right. So you can know like, oh, okay, I'm in the lowest risk group. I'm not saying that that means you can go, you know, hit the raves. Right. But it does mean that, um, you know, if you are at the highest risk, maybe you really shouldn't. Right. Maybe you you are the ones who really need to minimize your exposure because you're at the highest risk. Right. So that piece is helpful. And then the other part that's kind of interesting is from there, uh, when we look at these variants, well, what's the underlying mechanism of action? Right. When they uh, originally looked at um, uh, what do you call it, you know, a thousand years ago when they were looking at HIV transmission, they found some um, sub-Saharan African prostitutes who didn't get it. They couldn't get it. And from that, they identified the the particular pathway by which HIV gets into your immune system cells. Their uh, their receptor, the sort of lock to the key that um, HIV was using to get in, was shaped differently. Key couldn't get in. They were immune, right? And from that, you could try to develop um, different pharmaceutical interventions. And again, you can you know you can identify risk, and you can also identify treatments, hopefully.
0: Now, what what are some of the things we can learn, uh, the genetics field as a whole can learn from the, the COVID-19 pandemic? And I guess, how do we apply that uh, in the migra- uh, migration of future pandemics? Oh, interesting. So, you know, some things, so okay, a little
1: bit of background. So I worked uh, briefly in a level five biohazard facility at uh, MD Anderson. I got to wear the spacesuit, super fun. They're very uncomfortable, but it's really neat. And um, you know, did uh, did um, did molecular epidemiology, did some public health training. So I, uh, oh, got an A in virology. So that's fun. Uh, so I do have a bit of a background in this. So you know, I'll be riffing, but I know somewhat where of I speak. And there are a couple things that they got right. You know, they you know our sequence capabilities are so good that we could do that very quickly. And our ability to identify genetic variants. That's again, that's all bulk sequencing power right? So we could identify the infectious agent quickly. We could, um, and we could look for variants in genetics very quickly. So that's great, but that lags far behind uh, treatment, right? Diagnostics is always just galloping ahead, right? So maybe some variants will give you clues to treatment, but you still have to develop the treatments. You have to show safety and efficacy. There's a, um, there's a regulatory mountain to climb, right? And that that part is hard. and honestly, I don't see that part because that’s sort of independent of the science piece, right? We are really good at identifying genetic variants. We are really good at developing diagnostic assays. We didn’t scale them very well very quickly, right um, that that took um, that that lagged a bit, you know, so we had, Oh, really advanced laboratories doing very high level work of excellent quality, and that filtered to a retail ve- level, uh, right? N- not as well as it could have. You know, will, will that will that change in the future? Only if the underlying barriers change.
0: I have, uh, Dr. Stein. I have two more questions for you as we wrap this up, and really appreciate all of your. Uh, your I appreciate your energy too. You're you're going to be like probably top five for energy. Uh, We've done like 400 of these and I love the energy that you bring. And I'm, I know the audience will too. Uh, Next, next thing I want to go through with you. So do you, so where will genomics and genetic testing have the largest uh, impact in preventative care um, over the next couple of years, let's say? Okay. So here's something I've been
1: working on. It's incredibly exciting. (laughs) Now you got me kind of a little self-conscious about it, but you know, um, uh, um, I'm, I really love this stuff. I'm a, I'm a huge fan of genetics. So uh, they recently did, uh, they sequenced um, a large consortium of some of the European nation states and some of the larger biorepositories and research biorepositories in the U.S. pooled something like 30,000 patients with assorted mental illnesses. And they, uh, they sequenced them. And they identified, for example, uh, 28 different Separate biochemical pathways that are associated with schizophrenia. Okay, some of the pathways make perfect sense. A biochemical pathway is sort of um, the process by which your body makes stuff, whether that thing is uh, you know a protein that cleans stuff up, or if it uh, has some other function. It's just this is the building. This is the building pathway that your body uses to make functioning uh, things happen in your body. 28 different ones, and some of them made perfect sense. Some of them were like a neural development pathway. So you can imagine, okay, you've got some mutations or some genetic variants in the, in a neural development pathway, and maybe that's not so optimal, and so you're more sensitive to the likelihood of some sort of uh, error that results in schizophrenia. Okay, that makes perfect sense. But one of them, some of them were in your immune system. These were variants in your immune system that resulted in. I mean, these patients were diagnosed with schizophrenia right? And that, they, that appears to be the causal mutation for them, right? So what does that mean? Is that is it an autoimmune thing going on? Is there some sort of infectious thing that's resulting in this? Like what's going on there, right? Those 28 pathways are going to be different, even if sort of on the front end, it all gets lumped into a bin called called schizophrenia, right? There's 28 different subtypes now, and we know that. We can identify them. So some of them are going to benefit from some types of treatment and not others. Some of them are going to benefit from some kinds of prevention and not others, right? And there's going to be this like amazing amount of research that comes out to elucidate these pathways, to kind of clarify what you can do with this information. Like I said before, diagnostics gallops ahead of treatment, right? But it's a really exciting time to look into this.
0: Yeah, well, it'll be interesting to see how the, the industry, and like your space, continues to evolve over time. And I hope everyone in the space is as uh, into what they're doing as you are, because that'll mean great things for the future of uh, genetics um, uh, and, and uh, genomics and genetic testing, for sure. So I want to thank you, Dr. Stein, for joining me on the podcast here today. Hopefully we can have you come back uh, again soon and uh, wish you all the best. Of sure luck. thing. It was great
1: talking with you.